think we are ready to start this up. Fair. And to start this week right. out, Martin, I want to apologize. I did not ask your permission if I could throw that Nick thing at the end of the last episode, but it was just too funny. I'm afraid they're going to sue me. It was too funny. That's their catchphrase. That's true. You can't steal their catchphrase. I just stole it. I owe them money now. Maybe like five cents or something. Yeah. We'll send them a nickel in the mail. I will. Yeah. No, I won't. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention is I, so you know how the other day I bought some new tea and then I just assumed how to brew it and I brewed it completely wrong. Yep. And then you told me that the brewing instructions were online. Yep. So I did that. That was helpful. I also learned that the tea shop I buy my tea from in Boulder sells their tea online. So, in the show notes, we can actually link to the exact tea we're drinking if people happen to be interested in that kind of thing. Fair. Yeah. Not sponsored so by them. It's a cool tea shop. We should be, but we're not. Cool tea shop. It is a cool tea shop. Yeah, I like them. Except for that orange stuff I bought. I was I was still disappointed even after I brewed it correctly. This stuff, however, this is the hot cinnamon black tea, and it's good. Yeah, I think your taste buds are just broken because you don't even like green tea. You're just like, there's no flavor. It's not that I don't like it. I mean, I tried that uh, whatever kind like two weeks ago. That was green, right? That was pretty good. First of all, I'm very convinced of this story. It was on the podcast. Second of all, you've told me before the green tea has no taste. Well, whatever we were having on the show like two weeks ago, like Cloud Chaser, was it, or something like that? Well, that's that had, green that tea. had rose petals in it. All right. It's, maybe it's a green I just tea need, mixed with other stuff. Maybe I just need something else in there. Maybe just regular green tea ain't for me. Tisk tisk. Look, there's probably certain like foods that you're not big on. No, I love everything. That's not true. All foods. <laughs> I don't think that's true. That's not true. In I think slightest. there's like some dairy products, you know, such as all dairy products. Yeah. That you're not really into. Not really into them. <laughs> Anyway, all I have to say is we can actually link to the tea we're drinking. So, uh, hot cinnamon this week, and it is one of my favorites. All right. So, a few episodes ago, we did an investing episode. Basics of investing, mutual funds, stocks, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, that was a bit of an advanced episode, I have to, I want to say. Like, most people aren't ready to start investing before they get a few other ducks in the row for personal finance. Yeah. So this week, what I want to do is just do like a primer on budgeting, essentially. And I'm pretty excited about this because I know that you handle budgeting quite a bit differently than I do. So, in fact, I I would probably say that you just budget better than I do because I don't really do a whole lot of budgeting myself. So what I can bring to this episode, I think, is like an explanation of maybe how you would budget some of the different ways of doing it, how I'd recommend you order it. But I want to hear like how you're actually doing it. Yeah. Cause for me, it's like make money. <laughs> well, yeah, make more than Obviously, I spend that's the preferred solution and have some goals. Yeah. Uh, so let's just get into it. Yeah. I don't know why my outline says how to take over the world. Wait, yes, I do. Yes, I does do. It actually say that it does say that. I remember now. I remember reading online somebody had this plan for taking over the world where they said, I'm gonna I'm gonna go apply to every credit card. I'm gonna get every credit card in the world, I'm gonna get a cash advance on all of them, and then when I have a stash of billions of dollars, I will sell one lottery ticket to every person in exchange for their undying allegiance to me. That's a bad plan. I don't know, man. 
I think it's a great plan. I just feel like there are a lot of flaws with this plan. I don't think there's any flaws One, at all. all it takes is one criminal who thinks that's a good plan to kill you and take the plan. So that's a pretty bad part of the Not plan. if you don't tell them where you are. Everyone knows where you are. You're talking to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like anonymous. You talk to them through like chat rooms or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you're going to get to certain people. Like, I don't know, like five-year-olds or like old grandmas. But you probably you shouldn't find try a way. to peddle lottery tickets to five-year-olds. That, <laughs> that really doesn't seem okay. I'm, I'm this podcast is off to a wonderful start. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's not it. Okay, so budgeting. Everyone thinks of budgeting. They think of like setting up categories and like, oh, I can't spend this much on coffee this month. I need to spend this much on groceries this month. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Maybe you do that. But I think budgeting starts out with defining what your financial goals are. Because they're going to be different for everyone. I don't know what your financial goals are right now, but you have like a different reality than what I have. Cause like you're still paying off student loans for one. Right? Yes. That is definitely um, true. You, I don't know Have you started investing yet. I know you mentioned possibly looking into it. No. We need, so nope. we haven't started, haven't started that started yet. It. Okay. No. So right now I'm assuming your goal is get out of debt. Yeah. And I don't know what else. Pretty good goal. Maybe I shouldn't put words in your mouth. Um, I don't know. I got nothing. You don't know what your financial goals are? Save money, pay taxes, and debt. Win? All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's that's it right now. Some people take it a lot farther than that. So, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of in your boat right now where I don't have super well-defined financial goals. Now, if you go on my impossible list, you will see something that was representative of me a couple of years ago and I probably need to um, change this up a bit because I'm not sure if I feel the same way but at one point I literally had a goal where I was like I want to save up $900,000 by the time I'm 40 because what I can do at that point is essentially retire at 40 and this is this is based on something called the 4% rule so essentially you know how we talked about in the investing episode the stock market returns are going to be about 7% on average each yeah. year, right? Yeah. So the 4% rule basically says, all right, if I'm going to make 7% on average in the market every year, let's be real conservative and just like knock that down to 5%. So we'll just assume like I'm almost guaranteed to make 5% on average every year. Um, obviously, like we said before, there's going to be down years and there's going to be through the roof years. But like on average, we can probably bank on 5% because we usually can bank on 7 Okay. By that logic, if you take only 4% of your portfolio out every year, then it will continue to grow by at least 1%. Oh, yeah. So it will never run out. So if you could live off of 4% of whatever you have saved up in the uh, mutual funds or stock market, you could live off that, never run out of money, and essentially retire. Now, I think 4% of $900,000 is $36,000. So basically, if you could live off $36,000 a year, which would be about $3,000 a month, you would never have to work again. That'd be cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like, they call this like the financial independent. There's like a, there's a a community online called FIRE. And I know the first two letters are financial independence. I can't remember what, oh, maybe it's financial independence and retirement, retiring early. That's what it is. Yes. Financial independence, retiring early, the FIRE community. Basically, like, they want to retire. And for me, it's not necessarily the idea of, like, retiring to a beach or just, like, a life of leisure for the rest of, you know, from 40 to 80 or however long I live. But the idea I had when I created that goal, my impossible list, was 
by the time I was 40, I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted in terms of work, in terms of fun, in terms of projects without having to tie it to making money to live. Yeah. Right. So like if I want to go build houses in Africa, I can do that. It doesn't matter if I'm making money. If I want to go, you know, become a musician, I can do that. Like it doesn't matter what you want to do. So that's kind of my overall life philosophy is like be able to contribute to the world in some way and be building something of value, but in a way that doesn't necessarily have to be for you to stay alive and eat. Yeah, because you could be providing value, but in a way that just doesn't pay really well. And that's not fair. Yeah, exactly. So when I was 23, I believe I set that goal and then I was like, all right, I've got 17 years until I'm 40. What does that break down to in terms of investing every month and so on? You know, and you can take that in multiple different ways. It could be like a it has to be twenty three hundred dollars a month every single month until I'm 40, like a linear thing. Or you could figure out the math on like, okay, I can only afford a thousand dollars a month into the stock market right now. Mm. So obviously I need to compensate when I'm 37, you know, kind of like scaling up my investments until I'm 40. Yeah. And uh, I'm not like the first person to come up with this. There's a guy online. His name is uh, Mr. Money Mustache. And he literally did this. He actually lives in Longmont, which is like, I don't know, an hour away from here. Oh. And he and his family live super cheap, like $25,000 a year. I think they own their house, so that definitely helps. But because of that, they really never have, like, wouldn't have to work again if they wanted to. I mean, he does work. He, he obviously runs his website and he makes a lot more money than he needs to because he likes doing his business. But again, it's that idea of not being tied yeah, and if something ever happened, expenses. it wouldn't it wouldn't be terrifying. Yeah, because exactly. You already have the money. Yep. So I mean, maybe you could have a goal like that. You know, and that was a very attractive idea to me. I've gotten to the point now where I care more about College Info Geek than my own wealth at the moment. So it's a little muddier because money I would take and just shove into the stock market, I shove into my business instead like working on hiring more people or working on building this set or, you know, doing any number of things that's going to grow this business. And if I look forward in time and like, if I analyze like smart entrepreneurs who built their own businesses over the years, I think there's a likelihood that I will probably end up making more money than I would have anyway, just investing in the stock market. But it isn't necessarily in service of a fire goal at this point. Yeah. I think I'll still get to that number before 40. But yeah, it's a little different now. Well, it's more if, of like if build you engineer the, best. the investments into a business, you're likely what well, it's not that you're likely, but yeah. that it's very possible to get something much higher than 7%. Exactly. Yeah, I, I guess I, I just want to frame it in terms of like profit is not the primary motivator anymore. It's more build the absolute best business that we can in terms of how it helps people and money will follow. Yeah, but it's, you know, and it's going to end up working out anyway. So that is an example of a good financial goal. Now, for the majority of our audience, the goal is going to be graduating either debt-free or being able to pay off student loans in like a relatively short amount of time after college. Like that's like the first, I think, first hurdle for a lot of students. They're not worrying about retiring at 40. Yeah. And that's totally fine. But when it comes to budgeting, I think the first thing you need to do is figure out like what is my goal right now? It could even be smaller than being debt free. It could be have $500 in my bank account after my expenses every month. Like that's don't true. always be scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Have at least like one, 
get like one paycheck worth of stuff in the bank so you're not literally living paycheck to paycheck. You're living off last month's money, not this month's. That, yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be freeing for a lot of people. Exactly. And while I'm going to say the goals are yours to choose, that is like a goal you kind of need. If you're not there, like that's your goal. Yeah. <laughs> like that. That is, that's really your goal. So step one to budgeting, figure out what your financial goals are. Um, a lot of people will try to like jump ahead of where they need to be. They'll be thinking about investments or they'll be thinking about fire and retirement when they still have a bunch of debt or, you know, they're not even, they're still living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Like you said, so figure that out. Um, and then the next thing that I like to do, I want to talk about a concept called the money pipeline. And this is kind of how I view budgeting. Uh, and we'll talk about a couple of other budgeting methods here later in the episode, but the money pipeline is something that I like to think of my money in terms of before I do that though, one additional tip I want to mention here is that whatever you can do to automate your finances, I think you should do. So paying your rent automatically, paying your student loan bills automatically, paying your car payment automatically, and paying yourself in the form of investing automatically. Because with money, you know, once you have it, you have to use willpower to not spend it on dumb stuff. Yeah. So really like the, the money pipeline concept is kind of a concept where you take care of what needs to be taken care of and you pay yourself before you ever start spending money on, I don't know, Wario Amiibos or something. No, you buy that first. Well, that, that is a pretty crucial expense, isn't it? Yeah. More crucial than that one. That's for sure. Uh, that's not true because Wario's dumb. <laughs> you can think that all you want, but Wario's the best and also the best Smash character. What? But yeah. So I like to automate whatever I can automate. Um, and I do this, let's see, I do this with my investments, car payment, rent. Um, obviously, like Spotify and stuff is, they have to be automated. Yeah. But the main thing is here, like the main thing here is I never have to think about it because now the robots are doing it. So if like I really want to buy a new seat for my bike or something and money comes in and there was like, there's either enough money to invest what I plan to invest or buy the new bike seat. It's just going to the investment no matter what. Like I don't have to make that decision. Yeah. And this is something that um, I've learned from kind of the hard way because when I was a sophomore, uh, I graduated, I got an internship and I actually took money out of my mutual fund to buy my bike. And that is the current one. Yes. The current one I have. Oh, because that bike was 750 bucks. And I didn't have the money at the time. And I kind of like justified it in my head. I was like, all right, it's 15 miles to work. I could drive every day and spend all that gas. What if I biked every day and, you know, got exercise and saved gas money? But, oh, I don't own a bike right now. I think actually, you know what? I think one of my my old bike had gotten stolen on campus. Oh, because <laughs> I left it yeah, out that for, for like the whole year. So I wanted a new bike. I didn't have the money for it. And I was like, well, I'm going to get paid eventually from the internship. So I took money out of my mutual fund and I was kind of like a violation of my values, but I justified it. And then, you know, I spent that summer not putting money back into my mutual fund. So you, you didn't pay it back. Uh, well, I mean, obviously you I probably mean, like, eventually did, eventually but you didn't intentionally I did. Yeah, I didn't intentionally do it. No, I was like, I took it out and um, I don't want to say I regret it in terms of like, oh, I really missed that money. Like that money could have made me so much richer, but I regret violating my values of how I treated those accounts because those accounts should not be used for consumer things. 
I don't consider them like straight up retirement funds because they're not retirement funds. Like if, if there was some need to grow this business that needed an influx of cash, I would use it because I consider that like the war chest. And you know, if it's like, if it's needed to do something great, then I will use it. But buying a bike is just a fun thing. Yeah. So I did that and then I didn't have automatic investments. So for a long time it stagnated. And then eventually I was like, all right, if I'm, if I set up these automatic investments, number one, I'm never going to have to make the decision to not buy this fun little Wario Amiibo instead of investing. It's just going to happen. The money's going to be out of my bank account before I even realize it. And number two, I won't ever be going into my mutual fund and being tempted to take things out of it. It just kind of grows in the background. Yeah. And, that, and that's definitely a better way to do it because then when you take the, when you see money still there to buy that Wario Amiibo, you don't feel bad because you know that wasn't money that was supposed to go toward an investment. Exactly. Yeah. You can enjoy it more. Exactly. So let's talk about the money pipeline. The money pipeline is a visualization, like a model that I like to use to illustrate how you should allocate your money and in what order. Because a lot of people are like, do I invest first? Do I pay my expenses first? What do I do? I don't know. Do I need categories? You know, we've, we've used Mint. Both of us have used Mint before, right? Yeah. I've and Mint, Mint will like suggest categories like, oh, movies is this much per month and groceries is this much per month and coffee is this much per month. And, and that's, that a, kind of that's limiting, right? It's setting up the traditional sort of budget where it's like you can spend $30 on movies every yes. month. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, th- there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't prefer it. You know, I'm not sure what you're doing, so I'll oh, be curious no, I, to see what you're doing that either. But. OK, but yeah, you can do that. It works for some people. It works for my mom. Actually, my mm-hmm. mom like kind of uses that system, not with mint, but like a very similar thing. But what I like to do is visualize like just my income coming into like a pipe and then it flowing through. And it like at each stage of the pipe, there's like uh, another hole that it diverts to and has to like fill a bucket up before being able to divert to the next uh, and you can flow down to the next bucket. Yeah. So your first bucket is your expenses. Now I realize your expenses are going to vary from month to month and certain expenses are more higher priority than, than others. And certain expenses are like non-negotiable. So this requires sitting down and figuring out what are my fixed expenses and what are my variable expenses. And among my variable expenses, can I cut or adjust those variable expenses based on what I'm making? So this does require a little bit of planning up front. But I mean, you've got things like your rent, you know, unless you move, your rent is pretty fixed. Yeah, other than like minor utility changes. Yeah, you could, you know, turn the lights off more often or use less heat and put like a blanket on or a Snuggie on or something. But for the most part, you know, rent is what it is. When we were living in Ankeny, it was what, 550 bucks a month per person? That sounds right. Yeah, something like that. And I'm actually going to do an example here with numbers in a second. So I won't belabor the point too much Um, but you figure what your expenses are you pay those down first after that you have your debt minimums i mean you could almost consider this an expense but i like to break it out into a separate category so we can start to separate what a debt minimum is from a debt acceleration okay so debt minimum basically just means like the minimum payments on whatever debt you may have so if you have credit card debt and i hope that you don't and we're going to talk about that in a bit later. But if you have credit card debt, you know, say you've got a $200 balance on a credit card, which has a $25 per month minimum payment, you would have to make that minimum payment. If you don't, um, 
bad things happen. We'll yeah. say that. You shouldn't consider <laughs> your that. credit score gets destroyed. It's not optional. Yeah. And then the bookies come to your door sometimes. Um, if you have a student loan, like your student loans have a minimum payment you have to pay every month that you were telling me about. Yeah. I don't remember exactly how much it was, like two fifty or something it's like that. It's in that area. Somewhere around that. It's not that bad, all things considered. Yeah. You know, and that's based on what the term of your loan is, the balance of the loan, the interest rate. You're going to arrive at a minimum payment that you have to pay every month. Yeah. Now, we've talked about this in other episodes as well. If you needed to, you could do like a deferment or you could go onto an income-based repayment plan to actually lower that minimum payment at the cost of maybe paying a little bit more later on or extending the term of the loan. But whatever you do, you're eventually going to arrive at a minimum student loan payment per month. And then if you have like a car a car loan like I do, my car loan payment is $372 per month at minimum. Hmm. So I'd have to pay at least that on the car every month. So you've filled the expenses bucket. You've filled the debt minimums bucket. The third bucket after that is your emergency fund. Now, this bucket should almost always remain full. Like, And I, I think a good emergency fund number to start with is $500. $500 is like, you know, you you blow a tire on your car. Okay. What's a new tire? 60 bucks maybe. Yeah. I don't, I don't or know. if you need all, you needed all four tires, didn't you? Yeah. That recently. wasn't fun. Yeah. So uh, that's like $250 right there. Plus I spent, maybe some labor. I spent more than that. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you bought better tires or something like, like that. It was like 400 something. Well, okay. That's less than there's $500. The, there's the emergency fund. But yeah, if you had had $500 on hand, then you can take that punch. Yeah. So emergency fund is all about being able to take a punch. Like, oh, I sprained my wrist and I have to go to the doctor and there's like, um, what do they call that? Deductible on my insurance. Being able to pay your insurance deductible is a pretty good thing to be able to do. So unlike unlike the other ones, like the minimum debt payments, this one you don't fill every month. Yeah, this one should remain full full, unless you have. Yeah. So, I mean, if you visualize the money as water, it's kind of just like, oh, this is already full. So it just flows right on past. Yeah. But. You, this is useful to talk about in the model because somebody, you know, listening to this who has never budgeted before, maybe they don't have an emergency fund. Now, where are you putting this emergency fund? Is that in your checking savings account, account or a, sa- a savings account, like yep. a bank savings account? Yeah, and that's that's one of the things here is your money pipeline is going to have separate buckets that may end up being within the same account in your bank account. So you really just are thinking about this conceptually right now. Okay. But I do believe that money, uh, your emergency fund should be in your savings account. Um, on my other podcast, Listen Money Matters, we've talked about the idea before of like keeping your emergency fund in your mutual fund, like Betterment or Vanguard. And I'm not a fan of it, to be honest. Like we talk about the 7% average, but again, you can have a bad year. And if for some reason, you know, it's 2008, say, and the stock market just tanks and you've got your emergency fund in the stock market, mm. your emergency fund is now worth half of what it was. So if you pop a bunch of tires and, you know, and it coincides with the stock market crash, you're in trouble. So basically because the 7% average is supposed to be kind of an overtime thing, your emergency is going to happen at one point and we can't really predict that one point all that well. Yeah, exactly. Now you might get to a point where it doesn't matter if your emergency fund is in your mutual funds. And I think that might have been where Andrew was coming from. Because, like, Andrew's been building wealth like for a decade. Like, once you've saved up enough, that you're just like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, if you've been building wealth up for a decade and you have a couple hundred grand in the stock market, having $500 there or in your savings account really isn't going to matter because it would take, like, 
the start of a war to truly wipe out. And that then you whole probably portfolio. don't care about your new tires immediately because you could just steal them from the burning fire. Exactly. The yeah. Yeah. Looting tips 101. That's actually yeah. next week's episode. Yeah. How to loot properly, how to join a militia, you know, how to fashion some like That's a good weapons and stuff so you don't get eaten by the zombies. We're going to do that next week. That'll be the. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, if, if you're at like Andrew's level where five hundred dollars is almost nothing, then sure. Keep it in your Betterment account. Keep it in your Vanguard account. But for someone starting out where $500 represents a large portion of their wealth, keep it in the savings account where it's safe. So that's the emergency fund. After that, and again, this is a conceptual difference, um, but after that, I like to build a checking buffer. So in addition to your emergency fund, which you consider separate, your checking buffer is at least one times your monthly expenses just in your checking account. So what that means is that you should be aiming to have that left over in your checking account after you've covered your expenses every month. Oh, so this is that not living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, not living paycheck to paycheck. So if you lost your job or something happened, like you at least have a runway of a month. And again, this is another thing where we've had debates on List of Money Matters because we used to say, you want to build up three times your monthly expenses in your checking account. But realistically like when i stopped thinking about just the idea of it and started thinking about like what would that mean for my friends that work at you know the sports bar or at target to build up three times monthly expenses in their checking like saving forever it would take forever you know and we're going to see down in the pipeline there's other things you want to pay for so building up three times your monthly expenses might be totally unrealistic yeah but i think one times should be your goal because that way you've got your emergency fund You've got your checking buffer. Now you're relatively safe and you're relatively able to take care of something that might come up. Yeah. So to recap so far, we've got expenses. We've got your debt minimums taken care of each month, making sure that emergency fund is topped up and then your checking buffer of one times your monthly expenses. And um, one times your monthly expenses, you might be wondering like, well, what are my monthly expenses? Some months I spend this much, some months I spend more because I buy lots of Wario figurines. You know, I need yeah, to is this fixed complete or my shrine or, or overall. So again, fixed. What I like to do is sit down, analyze your fixed expenses, and then analyze the low end of your variable ones. So what could I get by with if I was trying to be frugal with groceries? You know, that kind of thing. If I canceled a bunch of stuff that I didn't yeah. need. So like, it's like, it's what I call your number. It's the, I canceled Netflix. I'm eating rice and beans. I'm still paying my rent and paying my debt minimums. And like, this is my minimum monthly expenses to live without drastically like altering my lifestyle and living in a cardboard box. Okay. That is what you want to build up your uh, checking account to. And if you tend to spend a lot of money on Wario Amiibos, like you want to keep your checking account at that number, even with those fun expenses. Because you know that you'll probably like, that's your habit. You'll probably still want to do it. Yeah. You might buy lots of Amiibos. Yeah. So after that, this is where it starts to flow into like different little pipes or areas concurrently based on your goals. So the first four were kind of linear in line. The next ones are split based on your preferences and you can figure out a percentage debt acceleration. So that means paying more than the monthly payment so you can get out of debt faster. Um, Investing, saving for big things like you want to buy. Well, I guess you already did buy a new bike, but Yes, I did. Or like 
I'm trying to think of something that you want to buy that's big, but you've just already gotten the piano and the bike. Let's just say which, whichever <laughs> the next Nintendo console is five or six years okay. from now, you know? Yeah, the next Nintendo console. You're, just like, you're socking away a little bit of money for the Switch 2. Yeah. The Switch Remix or something like that. Um, and for a lot of people, this is going to be like a house or a new car or something like that. You know, something big. Um, charity. And then you're just extra spending money. The money that you can use to go out to eat or to go buy coffee or to buy Wario Amiibos, that kind of stuff. Okay. So I want to do a quick example here. Let's say you've got a job, like Anna's got a full-time job, and you bring home $2,000 a month after taxes. So I didn't figure out the exact tax split, and obviously it, it differs based on state and what country you live in, but let's just say that means you're bringing like thirty k a year in. $30,000 a year. Okay. You know, $24,000 after tax. I'm not sure if that's the exact number, but it's close. And that would mean you bring home $2,000. So after taxes are said and done. All right. So I broke this down into different months. Month one, you have no emergency fund and no buffer. So let's just pretend for whatever reason, you're at like square one. You have nothing in the bank except for the $2,000 you just got from your job. I don't know. Maybe you graduated college and you had like an amazing graduation party that wiped you out. Yeah, you've made bad decisions, but luckily you have this job. Okay, so expenses. You've got $400 of rent. You've got, I put $200 for car insurance while writing this down, and then I realized $200 for car insurance is ridiculous. Like, I guess this would be a person who has like a Ferrari or something. Maybe you have a Ferrari. That's why your <laughs> bank account's empty. That could be true. Maybe you, you Although spent- probably sell the Ferrari. Well, actually, I do happen to know that if you have a Lamborghini and or Ferrari, that- puts extra knowledge into your brain. Okay. So maybe somebody out there was like, I really want to get lots of knowledge. I need to buy a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. They did that. But the car insurance is 200 bucks a month. Sounds smart. That does sound pretty smart. I'm not going to, you know, I don't have a Ferrari, so I don't have the prerequisite amount of knowledge to make that judgment call. No. You can't judge someone smarter than you because you can't see everything they see, right? Naturally. And they're seeing a lot of that Ferrari window. All right. So you got Spotify, $10 a month. You got Netflix, $10 a month. Let's just say your groceries are $200 a month. So you have a Ferrari, but you eat real cheap. And uh, you pay $100 in gas every month. Okay. So your expenses are $920 per month. Like you got to pay that much per month. And then your debt minimums, you told me that your student loans are $250. So I just put $250 in there. So the total between your expenses and your debt minimums is $1,170. Now, this first month, you need to fill your emergency fund up. So straight up, $500 goes into the savings account. You don't touch it. Boom. That means you've spent $1,670. Leftover is $330. So at this point, you've got $330 left over, but you have no checking buffer. So now you have to start figuring out, like, what's the percentage that I'm going to keep? What's the percentage I'm going to save? Because it's this first month, you're trying to establish yourself. I just put like maybe you spend $130 over the course of that month on fun things, on going out, you know, just like being a person in general. Does this include, oh, you already mentioned groceries. Okay. Yeah. So like maybe you you go out to eat like once or twice. Okay. Because I don't advise starving yourself. Starving yourself is a bad idea. I don't like that. Yeah. But so that's $200 left over. So that means month two, your emergency fund is now full. You have a $200 buffer. Obviously, it's not up to that $970 or $920 expense thing yet but it's getting there so leftover after your expenses or debt this month you've got 830 dollars so basically like over the next few months you want to work up 
uh, to get that buffer up to 1x. And actually, I, sh I should include the debt minimums in the 1x. So let's just say the 1x is 1170 bucks. Okay. So you want to work up to that buffer. So now let's like skip to month five. At month five, your emergency fund is full. Your buffer is at 1170 bucks, which means now you've got $830 every single month to split up after expenses are done, after debt minimums are done, and you've made sure that your buffer and emergency fund are full. So now you can start allocating that $830. So I just put some you know rough numbers here. Let's say we want to do 30% going to either debt acceleration or investing. We'll do 30%. Um, for the big things, you know, saving for an ATV or like a life-size cutout of Richard Simmons for the video set, still saving up for that. All right. 10% to charity and 30% uh, for spending just on whatever you want. So that would mean that you would get basically $249 for your investing and or debt acceleration, $249 for your savings for big things, um, $249 for your spending, and then 83 bucks would go to charity, whatever you pick. That's kind of my recommended way to do it. Now, we talked about this in the investing episode, but just to give you guys a recap on that whole debt acceleration versus investing thing, we mentioned that I like there to be like a rough 2% spread between the average returns in the stock market and the uh, highest interest rate on your loans. Meaning if you've got an interest rate over 5%, I say accelerate and kill that thing as fast as possible. Don't worry about investing uh, until that's done. Yeah. And then once you're once you're at loans beneath five percent, if you are comfortable with having debt, then invest the excess and just pay the minimum payment on those because you're going to make more money in the long term if you're making seven percent than if you're paying down something that's less than five percent. What about literally at five percent? Are we still good? I think that's my highest. Five percent is like my cutoff. So it's, cool. if it's five point zero one percent interest then pay it off faster. And this is just me saying stuff. You know, there's not like some amazing case study out there of somebody who paid down the 5.01% and then they're wildly rich and famous. It's just like, I think it's a good, a good marker, like a good line to draw on the sand. If again, it's like, it's all about your comfort level. I just don't want to like, I don't want that to be my general rule that it's only the comfort level. So 5% is like our rough guideline. Yeah. Do with it what you want. Obviously, when I was in college, I wanted all my debt gone. And it was at 3%, I think. So, you know, obviously, I've lost some potential gains in the market, but I really wanted my debt gone. And I, I killed it all. And the psychological benefit of that is what you were seeing. Yeah. And I graduated. I was like, wow, I have no debt. You know, I've got this business that I'm building. I can go do basically whatever I want now. That's awesome. Uh, but some people will be like, nope, I want to make more money in the stock market over the long term. So I'm going to do the mathematically best thing. And for that, I would use our 5% marker. Cool. Yeah. Um, so that's really the money pipeline. That's the biggest thing for me. And that's that's a good way to make sure your expenses are paid down. The ones that have to be taken care of. Make sure you're paying your debt off. Make sure that you are building a buffer and an emergency fund. And then you don't have to worry about it. All you really need to do is is figure out some rough percentages for investing, saving for big things, charity, and you know whatever spending, and then from there it's like, well, my whatever spending can go to whatever I want, yeah. You know, and maybe you need to think a little bit harder about it if like you need to buy a bunch of clothes or something. Now this is where we move into your non-monthly yet predictable expenses, because every month you're going to buy food, 
Every month you're going to buy another Wario Amiibo. You know, these are just going to be recurring expenses, Spotify, Netflix, but you're not going to buy new jeans every month. Um, and in the case of a student, you're not going to buy new textbooks every month. You're not going to pay fees for classes every month, but you are going to pay these in like August and January. So if you know that I'm a student who isn't relying too much on student loans, I'm trying to pay at least some of my way through college. I know like it's November now and I've got probably $500 worth of textbooks I need to buy in January. And I've got, you know, another $200 in fees I need to pay in January for the new semester. Well, then you need to make sure, okay, I've got $700 kind of set aside for those bigger, predictable, but non-monthly expenses. And would you just divide that evenly among the months, just just to try to budget it in there as savings toward the textbook cost? You could. You could. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like I just generally maintain a more than 1x buffer in my checking account. So that way, when something comes up, I just sort of pay it. Yeah. But if you are really trying to be more um, regimented about that, then yes, you could do that. You could say, all right, you know, that saving for bigger things percentage that could be set aside for textbooks coming up soon. Yeah. And well, and that, that logic also works if you wanted to save up for something less um, or more expensive than textbooks, because yeah. obviously those are going to be about 500. I could see you having it saved up that much. Well, you don't want to be dipping into your, your emergency fund for it, and you don't want to be dipping dangerously into your buffer to take care of that expense. So that's why it's important to plan yeah. ahead. You know, that way when you buy them, you still have that buffer available. That way, you know, if you do lose your part-time job or something, you're good. Because otherwise, if you if you just wipe out your checking account to pay for your textbooks and all of a sudden something happens, you know, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, for a lot of people, it might be really nice to be like, oh, this actually only turns out to be like $50 a month for yeah. the next... There you go. For the next time. And $50 a month is easy. I'm not uncomfortable this month. I can have as much fun as I need and I can casually save. Yeah. And just happen to have the amount I need later. Mm -hmm. And depending on what other big things you're saving for, that money could come from what you've already set aside for big thing savings. Or if, you know, say like, let's imagine somebody's graduated from college and they're really wanting to buy a house in the next two years. And they know, okay, I got to set aside $800 a month for that down payment of my house if I want to buy it in the next two years. But I also really want to get, um, I don't know, I need a new catalytic converter for my car because it's spewing smoke and I need to buy it in three months. Otherwise, the cops are going to come like take my car away or you something. You should probably get that one first. Take, well, yeah, you, I mean, but you you really want the house. If you've got money left over in the spending thing, you could just say, all right, I'm going to go to fewer movies this month. Or, you know, I'm going to buy fewer Richard Simmons cutouts this month. Just take that out of like the just derp spending fund and set aside a little bit of it each month for that semi big thing. Now, if what if your uh, what if your spending fund for just fun stuff wasn't high enough for that to even add up? Would you then suggest taking it out of your savings for the bigger thing? Yeah, I mean obviously if if your numbers aren't working out, then you have to figure out where do I make sacrifices? Maybe I can't afford to buy a house in the next 2 years. You know, that's that's the thing about budgeting. It's like allocation of scarce resources. And um, it's it's defining the scope of your goals and your desires based on what you can reasonably afford. Yeah, and you, you your know? goals should be reasonable because if yeah. you just set really unachievable goals and then like starve yourself every month and you still feel like you're in the negative for what you wanted, then that's that's not a healthy goal. You're just making yourself feel horrible. And if you feel horrible, you are less likely to do many of the things that could help you make more money and actually yes. achieve that goal. So you don't you don't want to kill your spirit. Exactly. And actually, that that does remind me of something. I respect the fire community. I think it's a really cool goal, but I've seen like people in forums, some people 
they take it so far that they like sacrifice everything that is enjoyable about life now for this big giant ideal of retiring at 40 or 30 or whatever age they've picked. Like they're eating rice and beans. You know, they're pulling down 80 grand a year, but they're eating rice and beans because they really want to retire at 40. Because, well, you can only have fun after 40. Yeah, I like to have fun now. No, that's not the rule, Tom. (laughs) Fun only happens after 40. I guess. That's why you should torture yourself now so you can enjoy it later. Okay. That sounds like a good message to put out there. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Actually, this reminds me, I read The 4-Hour Workweek back in 2010. And it was one of the books that actually kind of inspired me to start doing this whole thing. But one of the topics he talks about in that book, aside from becoming an entrepreneur, is this idea of mini retirements, where he sort of rejects the whole, you know, very popular notion of work your butt off until you're 65, then retire, and hopefully you have enough for retirement. He's like, what if instead you like used some of the time that is like the prime of your life to enjoy yourself? You know, go on longer vacations or go move to a country and live there for a month. Obviously, this isn't realistic for literally everyone in the world, but it's just an illustration to show that you don't have to slave away during the best years of your life in service of complete leisure when you're old. Yeah, it's just a questioning of that norm. Yeah, exactly. In fact, um, in Okinawa, Japan, uh, they don't have a word for retirement. Like, they literally don't. What they have instead is a concept called ikigai, which basically just means like, Always contributing, always working, having some sort of purpose in your life. Yeah, and like the thing you live for. Yeah, the thing you live for. And everyone there, they just, they tend to work until they die. And they, a lot of them live past 100. In fact, I think in Okinawa, like the average age of death is like the highest in the world, basically. And I truly believe that when you keep a life purpose and you keep contributing in some way until you die, you postpone death because you have a reason for living. Yeah. So I really don't like the idea of like work till you're 65, then go do whatever you want for the rest of your life. Just like, you know, hanging out and messing around. I'm also not trying to say that you need to be working like a dog, you know, until you die. But say you retire at 65 and then you go like get a part time job or you I don't know, you're like a handyman. Like my grandpa, he goes and like re-roofs people's houses or builds them like really beautiful cabinets. But it's like a part time job for him. But he still enjoys it and he's still doing something that he's proud of, you know, past retirement. Yeah. So I like that idea better. So you should really question, like, what do you want out of life before you start blindly following the advice of the general populace? Yeah. And for that reason, I think the four-hour work week is a good book. In fact, I think it is on our um, essential books list. It's not like the entrepreneurship part of it might not be for everyone. But that many retirements concept I thought was very impactful for me. And I think that everyone could benefit from it. Yeah. And you know what? The entrepreneurship end of it might be useful for some people as well. Like I was, I was like staunchly against being a business owner before I read that book because I was like too intimidated by the finances and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, I just, I have no idea how taxes work. I have no idea how these quarterly estimates work. This is, you know, I feel like the IRS is going to come and just kidnap me in the middle of the night if I do this. So I'm going to go work for someone else. And then I read the book. I kind of got a little bit more um, confidence built and then realized over time that, oh, it's kind of a pain sometimes, but it's not impossible. And once you learn it, you're good to go or you can just hire an accountant. Yeah. I think back then another thing was like, oh, man, an accountant is like $200, $300 a year. Like, I can't swing that. 
And then like, obviously you get to the point where it's like, oh, that's just a cost of doing business. And if they help you make more money, then it doesn't matter. It kind of cancels out. Which actually is a very good segue into our sponsor this week. Yes, indeed. Boom. Yeah. So this week's episode of our podcast, guys, is sponsored once again by FreshBooks. We've been talking about entrepreneurship here on the podcast. And spoilers, I did end up embracing entrepreneurship and uh, working for myself at first as a freelance web designer, but now as a, what do you even call this business? Content creation business, teaching business, something like that. Saying stuff that sounds smart on the internet. Saying co. There we go. Yeah. Saying stuff that smarts. Smarts sound on the internet. Like that. www.creedthoughts.gov.www. Yeah. <laughs> slash creed thoughts. <laughs> but when you're a business owner, whether you are a freelance web designer as I used to be, or a saying smart stuff on the internet kind of person, or maybe you have like a lawn mowing business. You're in college, you go mow people's lawns. Um, you have to bill your clients. You have to send them what they owe you. You have to take their payment. You have to put that into your accounting system, record the income, record your expenses, and know how much to pay in taxes every single year. It's just something you have to learn. And when you're an entrepreneur, you got to do it yourself. Now, you can hire an accountant to do it. That is one way to do it. But another way to do it is to learn how to do it yourself and then just use tools that make the process much, much easier. And that is what FreshBooks helps you do. They are an accounting and invoicing um, solution for freelancers. And the best thing about FreshBooks is it makes getting paid like the most brainless, hassleless, easy, easy thing in the world, pretty much because you can create invoices in less than 30 seconds that look super professional. You can email them off to your clients. And once they've clicked on the invoice in their email inbox and seen it, you actually can get a notification and see when they've done that. So there's no like sending something off in the mail and kind of hoping they've seen it for months on end to something that I have dealt with myself. Yeah. The other nice thing is you can let your clients pay online. So our content manager, Kayla, every month, she sends me a FreshBooks thing for whatever I owe her for helping with email, for helping with scheduling these podcast episodes, some other things that I don't have time to take care of. And I just pay online within like 10 seconds. It's super easy. And because of that, you get paid much, much faster than if you were to do another option for invoicing. So if you are working for yourself in some way, doing freelance work, anything like that, you can go over to freshbooks.com slash CIG to get a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks. Take it for a test drive. See how it can start to automate things in your business and give you more time to actually make money or enjoy yourself. And when you do, make sure to put College Info Geek in that How Did You Hear About Us section so they know that you came from this show. Cool. Well, thank you to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. And uh, the next thing that I want to talk about is actually... Your budgeting method. Yes. Because well, I don't know if you use Money Pipeline. It's kind of budgeting. Okay. And most of what I'm doing does also work with that pipeline. Because, um, so the app I'm using, and it's on Android and iOS, it's called Daily Budget, I think. It's got a yellow square with a little piggy bank in it as the icon. Okay. And we'll have it in the show notes. Basically, the first thing you do is set up your daily budget. And it asks you, what are all your fixed expenses per month? So I'm like... Here's my rent, and I estimate, and I'll, I'll adjust when I get the actual bill with utilities. And then here's student loans. Here are all my subscriptions for things that are important and the subscriptions that I just have because I'm paying for them, et cetera. Put yeah. all that down. Then it's like, okay, what are your savings goals? You put them in there, and then at the end of it, the main screen is just going to show you one big number that is how much can you spend today, and it'll divide all of your leftover money across the days in that month. 
So it's not using categories like groceries and clothes. You and- can categorize, but basically to track it. So I'm categorizing okay. only so that at the end of the month, if I'm like, this should be higher. Let me see what happened. Oh, that's the category that's the oh, biggest problem. Okay. And like we talked about in essentialism, yeah, it's really good to focus on your biggest problem first. So if I were to find that, say, there was one category that was 1.5 times what I thought it would be, yeah. but another that was four, the next month I am going to just focus completely on the okay. one that was four because it will give me the best the best savings. Yeah, exactly. But I'm not strictly saying I have this much money for restaurants. I'm saying, well, if if I go to a restaurant, I will see my daily number go down. Right. And it so it doesn't just show you your one number for today. It also shows you at the little bottom, it's got a preview. What's tomorrow look like if you stop spending right now? And what's the next day look like if you don't spend then? So if I spend below, let's say my daily limit right now, let's say it's $20. Okay. If I spend $10, first of all, I see that it says I have $10 left today, but I also see that tomorrow says $30. And if I don't mess around the next day, I have like $50. So when you actually wake up and open the app the next day, is it going to say 30 bucks? Yes. So it doesn't. I feel like it would spread the the savings across every day, but does it just apply it to the next day and just say it like, applies oh. it to the next day. And if you do it like this, you can see your number save up for the slightly more expensive things. Like if you want to buy a new uh, video okay. game and it's $50, you can say, oh, I see. If I don't buy any food, like if I just eat my groceries and I don't go out and do stuff for, in two days, I can buy that game. And then I can start over mm. next week with the regular daily budget that I'm used to. I could actually see how that might be a little more motivating than waking well, up the next day and being like, oh, I have $20.50 I can spend or something and, and like it, that. And it might be hard to remember, yeah, hey, I, I saved money yesterday. I deserve to spend that. Yeah. You did well and you're rewarded for it by getting to feel like you just earned more money, even though you didn't. It was already your money. But, okay. But you feel like you're making money every yeah. day that you don't spend up to the thing. And then the next day you're like, I have a few dollars extra. You know what? I'm going to get... I'm going to get the fancy side at this restaurant. Oh, okay. And you can plan ahead for that sort of thing. So, but contrarily, for expenses that you don't want to save up for in that way, let's say the bike I just bought, you know, several hundred dollar purchase. Yeah. If I wait for my, I don't don't want to not spend anything for like a week or two straight because I just know that that's not all that feasible. Right. To save up until my daily number says the bike. Mm -hmm. So this app also lets you do bigger spendings so it can it'll say how much is this thing bike uh $700 how long do you want to be paying it off and i want to keep everything within my one month so i'm just like i want to pay it off by the end of the month so it'll take the cost divide it across the whole month and then your daily budget is now just a little lower and by paying it off you mean you're you're buying it up front in real life yeah. and the app is just saying okay so now you only have like $10 a day to spend yeah. Because you already made a big purchase. So it's basically, yeah, it's doing okay. that. It's dividing it out so that as long as you're following your daily budget, you naturally have saved up enough to pay for the bike over yeah. the course of the month. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to starve for five days to pay for it. You just say, well, if I get this little expensive thing, it's going to cost me a few dollars every day. Do I have that wiggle room? If so, then I see the real sacrifice that buying yeah. something expensive does. Okay. So how are you getting data into this app? Does it like download it from your bank or what? Or do you have I, to enter it manually? I do not like things that, that download automatically from the bank. So like like when I used Mint because credit card and I think debit card payments too, yeah. they'll come in like a day late or something. Oh, so yeah. it, it, it would always mess me up at the end of the month in Mint 
or at the beginning because the next month on the first, it I'd, hasn't have like, stuff in yet. I'd have like 10 payments and I'd be like, I didn't buy that today, but it's from the previous week. Oh, because it, it just, doesn't post the same yeah. day that you spent yeah, the money. So Mint doesn't yeah. know when I spent it. It knows when I'm charged. Gotcha. So, I can't even use Mint anymore anyway. Oh, yeah? Does it not connect to your bank or something? Uh, it does connect to my bank, but I, I feel like every bank these days, and definitely my mutual funds, uses this two-factor authentication, and oh. Mint just doesn't play well with it. Like, That's fair. So basically, like, it was specifically Vanguard that stopped working in Mint first, and then I was like, well, if Mint can't have Vanguard, then it can't be a complete picture of my finances, and hence it's not useful for me anymore. Because, again, I'm not, a, I'm not a category budgeter. So I never used that. Mint was always like a where am I in my financial life right now thing. Yeah. Which I do want to talk about later, but go ahead and talk about um, entering things into your app first. Yeah. So it's really easy to enter things into it, which is the only reason it's working. Because before I had a Google spreadsheet that did like the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it was really complicated, but it was annoying to put it into my phone because I had to open a little spreadsheet app and like pinch and zoom to the right cell and type in the right numbers. And it was it was a little obnoxious. But with this, you just press either, there's a big plus and minus button, and you just like minus um, 560 snacks, Whole Foods. Okay. And then, it's, then it's done. So, so you're putting where you bought it to. I put it in, yeah, because I want to see the data later if something gotcha. is crazy. Okay. And that's all the data. So I don't need, I'm not saying what did I buy. I'm just saying it was some sort of snack. I don't know, because the pattern is what cost me more money, not a single purchase. Yes, exactly. So I, I've tried doing this before like manual spending tracking and I always fall off of it. So like, what are you doing to make sure you keep doing it? Well, the fact that this makes it much easier than my spreadsheet is why I'm still doing it because every time I would bring back up the spreadsheet, what would happen is I would quit a couple weeks in, I would get really annoyed or I'd have like eight receipts in my pocket. I'm like, Oh, I got to put these in. And like everything else in the world, if you let it pile up, it becomes overwhelming and much harder to do it than, than like they would have been separately. But I've also simplified a little bit. I used to overthink categorization and data input. The more information you're putting into each thing, the more annoying it is, the less likely you are to actually do it immediately. Yeah. And that's a good tip for to-do lists too. Yeah. Because I like to do it as like priority levels and labels. If it's not simple, it will die and it does not serve you. So this is simple enough that I have the stuff input before I'm even fully out of the checkout aisle at the store. I'm just like, oh, groceries. I see the number on their screen. I don't need the receipt. So you have your phone out, like, the moment the total comes up, yeah. you can do it. Yeah, I just do it. Because like I know a lot of times, like, like I'm seconds. trying to get the credit card in there and, like, bag it on my oh, groceries. Oh, I wait until the just... credit card's out. I'm done okay. with that card. And okay. Then, and then I just put it in really quickly. Well, that works pretty well. I have been very good at, like, snapping my receipts for business expenses, but that's because I have to do it. Yeah. Like, for legal reasons. But for personal expenses, I've never been good at it. Maybe you have a more compelling reason to do it anyway. Well, I like to know where my spending is going just because, one, this is a new state and new city. That's true. A lot of things are more expensive here and my habits are different. So Mm -hmm. it's nice to see that's a habit that I should probably stop before it becomes bad later. Yeah. And and because things like I just did pay for my bike because the previous one got stolen Mm -hmm. and I wanted a bike now, I didn't want to like wait. So dividing it over the month and just keeping within that daily budget makes it makes it really easy. It just says you, you do have the money. Just be a little more strict. We'll tell you exactly how strict. Mm-hmm. And if I save a few days, I can still get back up to that normal number if I want. Okay. So I think you are more interested in granularity and understanding these patterns than I am. 
which is definitely useful. In fact, I remember I was reading a study once that like keeping a food journal actually helps people lose weight. Oh yeah. Because I th- actually it talks about it in the uh, Power of Habit. And I think in the chapter he's talking about keystone habits, which are basically like it's like one habit that spurs the creation of better habits, like lots of you know down the road. Um, people who were trying to lose weight, the ones that were tracking everything they ate in a food journal, that spurred on eating better, exercising more, all these good habits that they couldn't build in the first place. Yeah, well, I think so, that's true with a lot of things with people. Sense. Like we can master things better when we have immediate and obvious feedback. Yeah, we're just we're really good at adapting to that kind of thing. But if I don't know, so with Mint, it had the categories, right? So arguably, I could have also looked at what's my highest expense category. But with Mint, what would happen is I'm like, it's automatically in there. Mm-hmm. I'll check it out at the end of the month. I check it out, and then I'm like, well, that looks horrible. I guess I'll try to be better next month. And then at the end of the next month, I'm like, oh, it's even worse because I'm only reminded about this after I've spent all of the money. It is too, yeah. It's too late That's for true. me to care about the categories. I didn't watch them slowly go up and say I should stop that. I just see it at the end where it's like, yeah, you're an idiot. Yeah. And that, that doesn't help me. That works. Okay. Um, I do want to suggest a couple of additional things you could do for finding these patterns because some people are not going to want to track expenses the moment they happen. Like there are obviously benefits, but not oh, everyone's yeah, going to want to do it. It's certainly a little annoying. I'll give you that. Yeah. So another thing you can do is at the end of the month, look at your credit card statement or your bank statement. Just go down the lines and just kind of see like, oh, am I seeing a lot of patterns? That's what I did with Starbucks when we were in Iowa. Where I was like, I was looking down my credit card statement and I was like, man, there's a lot of Starbucks lines on there. And then I went and added them up and it was like $300 in a month. And I was like, okay, I have now identified a problem. That's the important (laughs) part is that you added it up though. Because if you were scrolling through and maybe maybe you bought rollerblades, you got like $100 purchase here, $100 purchase there. Those jump out at you and you see Starbucks, but it keeps being for $5. So you just, that can't be as much as those couple hundred dollar ones. Yeah. But you did the math to find that out. Yep. Now, that is where a tool like Mint can come in handy because the fact that they do automatic categorization, if you don't want to do the manual spending tracking like you're doing, like Mint can pull those little patterns out for you. That's kind of like the beauty of it is you can go in and be like, okay, I am spending way too much at the grocery store. Why? I am spending way too much on Starbucks. Why? And don't just look at the money, like try to analyze the underlying habit. You know, maybe it's like, why am I spending so much on Starbucks? It's because I'm not getting up early enough to make my own breakfast or I'm just very lazy with breakfast. And so I go to Starbucks and eat food there. Why am I too lazy to make breakfast? Well, it's because the kitchen is a giant mess every morning. Okay. So we need to make sure the kitchen is clean at the end of the night before I go to bed. That way, when I wake up, it's less difficult to start making breakfast than it would be to go to Starbucks. Yeah. Or why am I going to so many restaurants for lunch? Well, it's because I'm out and then I get hungry and I don't want to leave. Oh, I could bring a lunch with me. So if I yeah. buy a lunchbox, I invest in that little thing. Yeah. That could save me a bunch of restaurant things. Just what what's the actual habit behind it is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Now, this I think is a good point to talk about the whole like you don't have to give up your Starbucks habit thing. Yeah. Because a lot of people when they talk about budget, they're just like, well, obviously, you stop buying lattes at Starbucks. You know how much you could save every month if you stop buying $5 latte? Like, that's like the most cliche thing in personal finance. But I've never been that way. I've never been the kind of person who's like, man, I really need to stop these habits that I enjoy because I need to save five bucks every day. My brain has always been like, number one, I don't have to be money perfect. I don't have to save the utmost amount of money every single month. 
as long as I'm making progress on my financial goals. And number two, the way I've always pictured it is like, I'm going to go out and make more money. Yeah. I'm not like, I'm not a frugal person. I'll just put that out there. Like I am not a frugal person. What I am is a financial, a financially responsible person who figures out how to make more money if I need to spend more money. And the way that I do this is I don't do what you do. I don't track my spend, uh, spending every single time I go buy something. I don't even know if I need to. But what I do have is I have, number one, a giant spreadsheet that I built that has like a zillion formulas in it. Um, and I think I can share like a modified version of this with our audience. So they might find it useful. It isn't something where you literally track every expense line by line. But what it does do is I have got a, I've got a column for income sources. I've got a column for um, expenses, both like labor expenses that I pay you, I pay Kayla, I pay Ransom, and non-labor expenses like MailChimp and web hosting and stuff like that. And then I've also got a column for personal expenses and a column for investing. So within those columns, I can put individual things like, you know, Martin makes this much, Kayla makes this much, MailChimp takes this much, hosting takes this much. Um, I, I put this much toward investing every month. I put this much toward, you know, the Vanguard REIT and then rent is over here. All my expenses are over here. And then I've got like a, like a, a summary column that takes in and shows me like, what's the net income every month, basically. So it isn't showing me exactly what I make every month because clearly there are variable expenses that we're not taking into account, but I do have estimates of what those variables are going to be like maybe $400 for groceries, okay. et cetera. And then what I've done at the bottom is I've set percentages of where I want certain things to be. Like I want investing to be 15% of my income, you know, and I want to make sure housing is less than 25% of my income. And if the numbers add up to be not those, it'll actually turn that field red to show me like, okay, you're spending too much on housing. So either you need to move to a cheaper apartment or you need to make more money. Um, or you're not investing enough. So either you need to make more money or you need to stop spending so much on coffee or something like that. So basically I know like if this much money is going towards investments, it's going towards housing, like we're good to go. There's no red blocks. And then it'll tell me what's left over. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'll put some sort of like template version in the show notes so people want to dig around with it. But I, I do want to say this up front, no support will be given because <laughs> I built this for me. Um, I built some really advanced things into it. Like it will calculate how much I owe in taxes, but it's for Colorado taxes. So if you don't live in Colorado, it wouldn't be totally accurate towards you. Yeah. Uh, so you can play around with it if you want. I will give it to you, but <laughs> I'm not going to be answering questions about it. At least not now. Maybe someday we'll like build a better tool out of it. It's like kind of a future project that I aspire to do for now. I think it'd be useful to share. But the other thing I do Every three months in Asana, there's a simple task that says, go update the net worth spreadsheet. So all that is is a very simple spreadsheet where I input what's my bank account balance uh, for checking and savings, what's my Vanguard balance, what's my Betterment balance, what are my IRA balances, what's the balance on my car loan still, and then I add all, or what's the balance on my credit cards, I add it all up and I figure out what my net worth is. And then there is another field that just calculates the percentage change from the last three months. Oh, so I know so it does compare. Yes. And it's green if it's good and red if it's bad. There's conditional formatting. So I know if it's going up from the past three months, there's not a whole lot I need to change. You know, and if I can look at if I look at the percentage gain, I'm like, okay, that's a pretty reasonable percentage gain. 
we're good to go. I don't need to be like thinking too hard about my spending habits. Now, if it's lower than it was, or if it really hasn't moved much, then I'll start to think, okay, there's a reason for this. What's the reason? Has one of our income streams went down? Am I spending too much, not investing enough? Like I can start to do some analysis when it counts, but not if it doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of my way of doing it. Um, not everyone's going to do it that way, but that's kind of like my hands off way. And that works for me because I am an entrepreneurial person who just thinks in terms of go make more money. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously if that's an opportunity, then you, that is the better solution because you can have more joy if you get your coffee every day or whatever. Yeah. And for me in, in my little system, I like to make sure, uh, when I'm setting up the savings and it's not, it's not a problem at the moment, but if it was a problem, I would consider certain responsible things. They're responsible because they're a good investment. Like if I go to the tea shop, I will get good work done. I will get better work yes. done than if I try to work at home. That is a good investment. That mm-hmm. is a responsible vice that helps me make more money in the future. So if my daily spending, if I've like ramped up my savings goals too high and my daily spending can't afford that like little tea thing a day, then I am trying to save too much because that should be considered an important expense if it's going to help me make more in the future. Yeah, exactly. Like imagine you're playing Age of Empires 2 or something and like you're just, you just decide like I really want my rate of food production to be this and my rate of metal production to be this, this, and this. Like you can do that but if you never spend any of it, your empire is not going to grow. Yeah. Like if you never make investments in building more granaries or building a barracks or whatever you need or building those Shelby Mustang yeah, cars you with lasers up forever, you know, well, I guess you can use a cheat code to get those things, but you have to take like, this is a big thing about budgeting. I like to view money in terms of a resource, not a score. So that's, and that's a dangerous thing about the net worth document. You can, you can start looking at your net worth like a scoreboard and becoming so obsessed with only seeing it go up that you never divert resources to something that might be really oh. beneficial to yeah, you. Yeah, like maybe you have a kid and it goes down. Well, you shouldn't feel bad that your net worth went down if yeah. you're happy you have a kid. Well, I remember, yeah, kid is a good example. I remember when I went over to Andrew's place the very first time he showed me his net worth spreadsheet that he was tracking. And... For, you know, so many years, it was like going up and up and up. And it was this really awesome number. And then one year, it just, it slashed by half. But that was the year that he bought his condo and he had to, and he stopped living in like this really, really crappy apartment that actually got flooded from Hurricane Sandy. So, yeah, Um, obviously that increased his, his value of life, you know? Yeah. Or standard of living. That's what it is. So, you know, increase your standard of living. Obviously, live within your means, but don't be a pauper that's just chasing a scoreboard because the number of dollars you have doesn't make you happy. It's what those dollars enable you to do. Yeah. Cool. All right. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about was um, credit cards. Yep. We've mentioned credit cards here a couple of times. I do want to give you guys some basic tips on how to use them correctly. Number one, it is useful to get a credit card as early as you can. Now, I think there were laws passed in 2009 that require you to either make a certain amount of money yourself every month or simply just be older than 21 to be able to get a credit card without a parent signing. Though, 
Uh, there may be collateralized credit cards that you can get before you're 21, where basically like you pony up a certain amount of cash as collateral, like a down payment. You get the credit card, and then if you were to not pay it off, they would just use that money that you put down. Yeah, and so that, like, that still helps your credit. So yeah. if that's the best that you can get, then that's still useful. That's often what students and younger people have to get these days. Like, I think I got my first credit card in 2008 when I was in high school. So it was a normal credit card. I didn't have to have a cosigner or anything. And it was a $500 limit. These days, maybe you have to pony up $500. Your limit is $500. And if you don't pay it off, they take it from that collateral. Yeah. Well, I know my first <clears throat> one was a special, like, student credit card for college students. That, yeah, that, that too. my bank had. So mm-hmm. that's probably also a useful opportunity. Yeah, and maybe I, I know there's lists on, like, nerdwallet.com. That lists like the best credit cards for students and, you know, young people who don't have any credit built up. So we can link to that as well. I don't have a specific recommendation written down, but it is useful to get a credit card early because you want to start building a credit history that gets you a credit score. Because the higher credit score is the lower interest rate you can get on things like a car loan or a home loan later in life. Um, Some employers will actually pull your credit history and part of their hiring decision will be like, how responsible is this person with credit? So it's, it's very useful to be building credit early on. Yeah. And, um, this is something that I had to do like a lot of work to convince Anna about. She was very scared of credit cards. She knew people who had gotten a lot of debt with them and she's like, I never want one. And I'm like, okay, so just get one, put your Spotify on it, like $10 a month, lock the credit card in a drawer and then set up an automatic payment. That's it. Because now every month, that's what she does, actually. She doesn't, I don't think she uses her credit card for anything else. Oh, yeah. But every month, there's another payment, you know, and the number of payments you've made, number of on-time payments, the age of your credit history, all these things factor into your score. And I actually want to talk about that. So your credit score, um, there's like three different credit agencies. They each give you a different score, but essentially it ranges from like, I think 350 to 850 is like the range and you want to be above 700. That's like the initial goal for most people. And then after that, like push it as high as you can. I kind of treat it like a game a little bit. Yeah. Um, Now the factors that affect your credit score, there's like high ones, medium ones, and low ones. So the high ones, number one is credit utilization. Uh, You want to keep your credit utilization under 20%, which means that if you had say a $5,000 limit on your card, you would never want to carry a balance that was higher than $1,000. Um, and by carry a balance, I mean like ever have a thousand dollars on it because I recommend paying Even it off. Even if you were going to pay it off, you yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't want it to hit a thousand and sit there. Yes. Yeah. Never let it go past a thousand. Now, sometimes I don't follow this rule. Obviously like perfectionism is dumb, but that's like the general ballpark. You don't want to be utilizing too much of your credit because then it looks like you're depending on your credit too much. Uh, the other ones are payment history. So th- like this is the really important one. Um, the only way to be like have like a good mark on your history is to always pay your credit card on time and literally never have a late payment. And the way that I do this is I have a double reminder. I've got a reminder in Asana and I have another reminder on my calendar. And that reminder actually sends me an email. It is the only task that is on Google Calendar that I have. Yeah, well, if you mess it up once. Yeah, I never want to mess it up. It takes a long time to build that score up, which is where you want to start. And, and you can't predict when you need it either. So yep. if, if you're a student and you're like, yeah, well, I don't think I want to buy a house. You know, maybe in 10 years you change your mind, but you never got a credit card. Well, too bad. You yeah. have no credit. So I hope you can pay for the whole house and everything you're like yourself. Yeah, this is something that affects a lot. You may change your mind 
in the future and you might need it, but it's very easy to set up the right behaviors now. Yeah, putting so Spotify it. on it and locking yeah. it in a drawer takes no work and will help you. Yep. In fact, I have an old credit card that pays my Spotify. Yeah, and the, my first the one actual the credit card is locked in the drawer somewhere or maybe even, I don't even know where it is, maybe cut up and thrown away, who knows. But it, the account continues to pay. Um, the other high factor is derogatory marks. So like if there's like a lien on your property or bankruptcy or something like that, like tax collection, that's pretty bad. Most people don't have those, yeah, but they affect your credit score. Bankruptcy takes like what, like seven years or something like that to go to, it to de- stop being heavily considered. It depends on the it's type like of huge. bankruptcy, I think. I believe that well, if it's yeah, a chapter seven, types, it's like 10 true. years. And then if it's a chapter 13, it's seven years, I think. Yeah. It's, um, we've talked about that on Listen Money Matters. We won't talk about bankruptcy. Hopefully people no, don't I have hope, to use that. that's not an issue <laughs> right now. Yeah. Least. If people really want to do a bankruptcy episode, like we can do it, but I'm going to have to hear from people about it. Like, I'm not going to be like, I bet you students need to hear about bankruptcy. If, I hope that's not a secret <laughs> I problem. I hope they don't. Um, all right. So then the medium factor is the average age of your credit accounts. Now, this is the one that's really hard to build up when you're young because it, it just takes time. Like you can't really affect it much. You just have to get older. But opening your first credit card as early as possible gives you a head start on this. Uh, the other thing is it is the average age. So every time you open up a new credit card account, that hurts the average age. That doesn't mean you should never open a new credit card because there are better credit cards you can get once you're older and have an established credit history. Like mine gives me cash back. It's pretty nice to have. But the other thing, the flip side is if, if you were to close an old credit card, well, now that's off your history and, um, it's the average age of open accounts. So basically, if you were to close an old credit card, well, now your average age is much, much less. Yeah, so you don't really want to close those. You don't want to close them unless it is costing you money. So if you've got like a credit card that oh, has yeah, an annual charge, fee, again, it's a medium factor, not a high one. So if I'm paying like $90 a year or something to keep this credit card open just for the age, I'm going to kill it. But my first credit card had no annual fee. I don't recommend getting a credit card with an annual fee anyway. So really, it just sits there, pays my Spotify, and keeps my average age a little older than it would be without it. And then you've got your low factors, which uh, total number of accounts that are open or have ever been in your name. So student loans count, car loans count, those things. More is better. But again, don't just blindly chase the score and realize this is a low factor. And then uh, hard inquiries, meaning like if you apply for a credit card, they're going to pull your credit history. That's what's called a hard inquiry. And if you have a lot of those, that can ding your score. So a lot of people get frustrated by things like that. Like, how am I supposed to get a credit card if they're going to ding my score when they when I apply? Like, don't worry too much about it. Yeah, I, it is a weird, like, ironic thing that doesn't make a lot of sense. But that's just how it works. You can't do anything. About yeah, it. there's reasons. There's risk assessors and probabilistic distributions and all kinds yeah. of data they have to use. But the this bottom is the line is this is the game we have to play. Yes. Um, if you want to check your credit score. I think you were telling me that your bank actually gives you some sort of tool that shows you it for free. Yeah, my bank has a lets me check my credit score for free with a thing they partnered with. Okay. And that's been for a so long time. So that's pretty cool. So, so you might be able to do that if you have a bank that's cool. Otherwise, the only one, uh, the only site I know of that gives you your real credit score for actually free is Credit Karma. And we'll have that in the show notes. You've probably seen the commercials for like freecreditreport.com. Call your friends, call your dog, call your mom, all that stuff. That's not free. 
Yeah. They like charge you some, so you got some secret stuff in there back, back in the day. I think they were like, had like some $15 per month fee. Like you'd sign up for free and then it would start charging you. And then you'd have to like call them and summon a demon to get them to cancel it or something. But credit karma literally gives you the score for free. You can log in. It shows you the, um, those utilization things on the factors that affect your credit score. So it's a good educational tool as well. Oh, so, it, so it can be like, Hey, if these things are hurting your score a little bit, yes. if you improve them, yeah, here's your it's, target. It's pretty awesome. And actually, it shows you two. I think it shows you like Equifax, Equifax and TransUnion. So I've got like okay. two different scores. I'm like a 780 and a 760 or something like that. Um, and I think the way they make money is just by like recommending credit cards. And that's like an affiliate link. So if, if you wanted to get another credit card and you clicked one of their links, I think that's how they make money. But in terms of just giving you your score, that's free. No strings. That's nice. I do like that. Uh, The last thing with credit cards here is with your credit card, be what they call a deadbeat. In the credit industry, a deadbeat is somebody that they never make money off of because they always pay (laughs) their their credit balance in full every single month because you only ever pay interest on the balance you carry. So I say, let's say I have a credit card. I buy a thousand dollar limited edition gold plated Wario Amiibo because I just need that. Now I've got a $25 per month uh, minimum payment, which is like what most credit cards come with. This is where people get in trouble because they're like, oh, I only got to pay $25 right now on that. They pay their $25. So now they're carrying a $975 balance to the next month. And most credit cards have like a 20% interest rate. Quite so a bit higher now, than the average return on investments. If exactly. You have it's so high. So if you've got $975 in um, in your balance that's going to be applied to that interest rate, that's like $190 in interest, bam, tacked right on that you now owe. And people get in a lot of credit card debt because that interest compounds on itself, just like the stock, ma- uh, stock market does. So if you now have like $1,200 in debt because of the interest and you don't pay that and you continue to pay the minimum uh, fee every month, it'll just pile up until you have tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. Yeah. And And then you're stuck. The best case scenario is that never pay it, never like leave a balance. And then it doesn't really matter what percentage they put on the credit card. I have no idea what mine is. I don't know what mine is either. I don't ever want to find out. It could be 200%. It wouldn't matter because I pay my balance in full. Well, that would incentivize not messing up. That is true. Yeah. I also pay my balance about 10 days early. Like the due date is the 24th of every month. I pay it on like the 14th just to make sure. And then I like make sure I get the confirmation email. I'm very, um, there's some things you should be meticulous about. You should, you should be meticulous about your credit stuff. I'm very meticulous about my credit. They can hurt you in a bunch of places. Yes. So yes, be a deadbeat. Um, they probably still make money off of you in some way. I don't know. I think it's, they probably like like, pull all your transactions and do data analysis on it and then advertise against it or something. They want you to be really bad and get a horrible score. It's just they do. It's kind of funny how like you're incentivized to do things they hate and they reward you with a good score in a way. Well, there's like, for, there's a bell curve for, for the credit them. card companies because like if you get all the way over here to super in debt, well then you just go to bankruptcy and you get the debt forgiven. Now there's yeah. big consequences for you there, but obviously the credit card company is going to have to write that off. But then on the other end of the bell distribution, there's the deadbeats who always pay their balance are never paying interest and the credit card company, you know, maybe ekes out some money in some other way. But where they really want is the people who are like in the middle, they've got some debt, they're paying the interest rate, but it's manageable. Yeah. yeah so and they have to cover it forever. for the rest of people. Yes. However, all of you listeners, 
let's make the College Info Geek audience only on that one side of the bell curve. Yeah, let's be we're a bunch of deadbeats. Dead Hashtag we're all deadbeats. <laughs> Hashtag we're all deadbeats. I love it. I like that. I do like that, actually. No context needed. But yeah, that, that is why they do the cashback things. That's why they do airline miles. They're trying to in- incentivize you to spend more money. I mean, with my business credit card, it was like, if you spend $5,000 within the first three months, you're going to get, um, it was like 50,000 yeah, airline they wanna, miles. They want to try to trip you up. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to pay my freelancers via the credit card. And I think I just paid yeah, you. you already, I paid you for two months. Happen. And I incurred. I think I incurred $90 of PayPal fees doing it that way that I wouldn't have incurred before, but it was like $300 worth of airline miles. Yeah, you were paying $90 for the airline miles, basically. So, again, I just paid off the balance in full every month. I always pay off that balance, so I just got $200. But most people are going to be like, I want that. I want them airline miles, and then they carry a balance, so they spend more money than they intended to spend. Those things are nice, but they're they're just a bonus. Like, my card has... I get like a 1% cash back on most purchases and, yeah. and higher than that on specific categories. But that doesn't mean I should be like, if I, if I spend like $80,000, I'm going to get $800. Whoa. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like you, you shouldn't be on purpose spending stuff for that. Yes. Almost at all, except for in the case where you were already going to spend it. You got to be careful. You get, you get a reward on accident based yep. on money you were already spending. You shouldn't be spending more to get a reward unless you've done a lot of math and it makes sense. Yeah. With the rewards programs, you have to be very careful. Yeah, they're, they're only again, there like, to try to trip you up. The signing bonuses can be very useful um, if it was, again, something you were already planning on spending. And then if you can prove to yourself that you are a deadbeat and that you are paying your balance every single month in full, and you're never getting to the point where it's a problem, then you can do what I do, which is I put almost every purchase I make on my credit card. I still make sure that I'm not uh, utilizing too much of my overall limit. Yeah. But if I can, I try to put every purchase on the credit card. So that way I am maximizing that cash back. Yeah, and you're getting it by accident. Yeah, I'm not trying to game it. I'm not like going out and intentionally spending more money to get more cash back, but... You know, every six months or so, I'll log in and be like, oh, I've got a few hundred dollars in credit. And sometimes I will just use that to lower my balance. Just a little present. Sometimes I'll buy a bunch of Amiibos or whatever. I don't know. Happy early early birthday. Yeah. Free money. Free money is nice money. Exactly. But not if you had to spend more money than you would have spent to get it. No. That's just, (laughs) that's like a weird form of all the coupons. And they're all basically trying to game you into spending what you weren't spending. This is just a more dangerous version of all of those deals. Exactly. Yeah. So that is all that's on my outline. Uh, Unless there's anything else that you want to mention, then uh, I'm going to go through a few resources and then we can wrap this shindig up. I think that's pretty good. My main focus is on dividing it amongst the daily because it's easy to say that, yeah, oh, $10, I can spend $10. I made X thousand dollars this month, duh. But Mm -hmm. then if I forget that tomorrow and then say, oh, $10. Well, I can spend $10. Yes. So the daily spending is, I think, useful if you are the kind of person who is just going to forget and keep treating yourself. Every yeah. day is not a reward day. Exactly. Yeah. Every day is not a reward but day. But that's, that's it on my end. Cool. So uh, I'm going to do a quick recap. I know somebody in the comments on the last episode kind of pointed out that we don't do a whole lot of recaps. And I think that this episode deserves one. So let's just go through my little outline here. Um, at the top, I have cream, cash rules, everything around me, get the money, dollar, dollar bill, y'all, which I didn't mention, but it deserves mentioning. It does deserve to be mentioned. It does. 
Um, but in terms of budgeting, number one, define your financial goals, whether you're a fire person, whether you want to graduate without any debt, whether you want to accelerate your debt payments, whatever it is, figure out what your goals are. Um, use automatic payments and automatic investments to take the willpower out of the equation when it comes to paying your expenses and investing what you need to invest every month, even if you want to buy Wario Amiibos instead, and then create your money pipeline expenses, then debt minimums, emergency fund, a checking buffer, and then split based on your preferences, your debt acceleration or investing, your savings for big things, your charity, and your just derp spending money on whatever you want. Um, try to look forward the next few months to think about what are expenses coming up that are non-monthly, like textbooks or fees, or I don't remember like what you mentioned, new car parts that you might need or something like that. Just keep that in mind. And then when it comes to daily budgeting, the app you mentioned was what? It is daily budget. Daily budget. Okay. Yellow square, piggy bank icon. Yeah. So if you want to um, get your habits in check, a great way to do that is to start tracking your expenses every single day manually so you can start to see those patterns. An easier way to do that is just to look through your credit card statements and your bank statements at the end of the month and look for patterns there or use a tool like Mint that can use automatic budgeting categories to show you those patterns. Or you can just do what I do and track your net or your net worth every few months just to make sure that everything is going the way it's supposed to be going. Uh, lastly, use credit cards wisely. Start early. Make sure you always pay off your balance and build that credit score early on so it can benefit you. So that is our episode. I do have a few resources that are going to be linked up in the show notes. Uh, this is what, 174, I think? Sounds right. Yes. I think it is. Yes. It is an even episode because we have a sponsor. So cigpodcast.com slash 174, or if you're watching this on YouTube, you can just click that link down in the description below. That will have links to Martin's budgeting app. It will have links to some form of my spreadsheet template that, again, I can't provide support on because it was built for me, but you might find it useful. Um, maybe I'll actually throw in a copy of my net worth spreadsheet as well. That is much simpler, but again, it's something you can start to build off of if you know how to use Excel. And then I also have an article on College Info Geek called The Ultimate Guide to Budgeting in College. So that kind of follows a lot of what we talked about here, but you might find it useful anyway. It's a more concise version of what we talked about here. And then if you're interested in money, number one, let me know what you'd like to learn about down in the comments below. I would love to do more money episodes on this show. I just need to know like what you guys want to know about. And additionally, we have a, uh, well, at least I have, another podcast called Listen Money Matters, which is all about personal finance. So if you want to learn more about money, we have hundreds of episodes over on that show that you can dig into and start increasing your financial knowledge. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Thanks once again to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. And if you are a freelancer or you do work for yourself, head on over to freshbooks.com slash CIG so you can get that 30-day free trial. And let them know that College Info Geek sent you so they know that this show's working for them. Um, those show notes once again cigpodcast.com slash 174 and that is all we've got for this episode so thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week thank you